The hit documentary Potty Town is about a guy who decides to go against the system and put toilets all over town. <laughs> he kind of made a mess. But we're going to get to talk to today's guest, who is the director of the documentary Potty Town, which was number 13 in the iTunes Apple Top 200 chart for documentaries. Uh, we had a great conversation with him, and I can't wait to bring it to you right here on the Manlyhood Mancast. In a culture that scoffs at honor, you can rise up to lead and to shine. It's time to be the best man that you can be. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Manlyhood Mancast. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't got your beard oil yet, you need to go to manlyhood.com slash store and get some of our CBD beard oil. It's made by Hemp Mafia, and this is really good stuff, guys. Your beard will smell great. It'll look great. It'll keep it clean. It's got uh, oils in it, natural oils in it that are good for killing bacteria and it's just great. It's good for uh, your beard in general. So go to manlyhood.com slash store and get some of our oh, CBD beard oil. Almost dropped it. That would have been a mess. <laughs> uh, also, guys, don't forget our contests that are available at manlyhood.com slash contests. We've got an amazing knife from Haynes Knives. You want to go and enter this contest. This is called a Black Pearl. It's carbon steel. It is beautiful. It is amazing. And you want to enter to win this. This is a, a $250 value and uh, you can enter to win it for free at manlyhood.com slash contests. And um, if you want to win extra chances, have some extra chances to win. If you just uh, send me a buck, every buck you send me, will give you another chance to win it. We'll give the, have a giveaway for this later on in the year. So guys meet Morgan Elliott. He's the director of potty town which is a feature documentary film that reached number 13 on the iTunes Apple Top 200 chart for documentaries here in the U.S. Uh, it's streaming on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. Uh, the director is a writer, editor, and cinematographer with experience creating commercial content, music videos, documentary films, and he's also been the director of photography on several award-winning short films. So Potty Town tells the story of one man's hilarious fight against his government. <laughs> and uh, it really is a great documentary. I really encourage you to watch the documentary. Um, but before we do that, we want to have a conversation with the director. I had a chance to sell some property to Dunkin' Donuts. They want to put it in a new shop. He said, I've got this corner and I've got somebody willing to pay me $650,000 for this village lot. When you have somebody who picks up a property trying to turn it into something that's profitable and that person gets denied the opportunity to do that, he got very upset. I'm Hank Grobart, the toilet man. He started put, putting them everywhere. We were very upset about it. The toilet placement is perfect! 
It's not a joke. I mean, it's been nationwide on TV. There's an awful lot of community support for what he's doing. You start to wonder if these people gone cuckoo. If I wouldn't get in trouble, I'd take a sledgehammer and break every freaking one of them. He put the latest toilets up after his rental house was destroyed in an arson. <laughs> it started a very big fire. <laughs> they immediately started to look for ways to take them down using the village law. And it's done to bully people. And I believe I wasn't hurting nobody. That's when the village charged him. We tried to tell them ahead of time, don't do this. Don't do this to Hank Robar. Robar filed a federal lawsuit seeking $7 million. This would be a matter that I would love to see make it all the way to the United States Supreme Court. You screw a man over, I mean, what do you expect? So without further ado, meet Morgan Elliott. Morgan, it is great to have you on the show today, man. I got to watch your movie today, and uh, yeah, I'm in love with it. I think it's an amazing story. So maybe why don't you uh, tell us a little about yourself, man? Yeah, I'm from upstate New York. I've born and raised here. I've lived in other parts of the country, but I came back here, and so it was great to be able to make a film in this area. I, I, my background is TV, video production, film work, writing, all that sort of thing. I never really thought my first film would be about toilets, but you take what you get, what comes to you in life. And so that's, that's what I've done is I do camera work, I do directing now, writing, and I live with my wife and my two dogs at home, and we just... We have a good little life up here. That's awesome. Where at in upstate New York, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so we're like 20 minutes from the Canadian border. It's a small little town, Canton and Potsdam, New York. It's what we have here basically is very little industry, but a couple of colleges. We have four colleges in one little area. So we get a lot of kids from outside of the area that kind of keep the economy churning up here. But beyond that, there's not much. Yeah, we're similar here. I'm down in northern Pennsylvania, about in the edge of the New York border. And we're about like three hours from everything, like maybe two hours from Buffalo. And it's very similar terrain, I think. So I completely yeah. get it. Completely yeah, get it. We actually had, I came home recently, my dog had eaten my Roku remote. And, <laughs> and we were like, we got to get a new Roku remote. But the closest place we can get that is two hours away. So we're in like Amazon territory. Everything you need, right. you have to get on Amazon. Right. Yep. 100%. I totally get that. So you're actually from the town or you're living in the town where this, the story of Potty Town is from then. That's your town then. Yeah. It's the town next door or down the road from where I grew up, but I've lived there. I've spent time there. I know everybody from there. So it, yeah, it really truly was in my backyard and I can touch on the, the, what the film's about a little bit, if you want me to get into that now. Yeah, that was where my next question was going. So what in the world? Like I said, this movie is amazing. And it reminds me of Tread, which is the story of Killdozer, but without all the destruction and death. But, and I think our, I know our listeners are, they're probably going to, like a lot of our listeners and the guys that are in our private Facebook group, they talk a lot about, they almost like idolize that guy. But they're not so much that they're willing to jump in a killdozer. Let's talk about Potty Town. <laughs> Tell me the story if you can, man. Yeah, no, there, there definitely are some similarities between the two. In Potsdam, New York, you have this older gentleman named Hank Robar. And t about 20 years ago, he wanted to have his property rezoned so he could put a Dunkin' Donuts in there. 
he wanted to sell it to Dunkin' Donuts. Just to give you a little background, Potsdam, New York, even though we're a small area in upstate New York, it's one of the most heavily taxed villages to live in in the entire state because there's so much non-taxable property there, like colleges and hospitals. So somebody has this property here, they're paying a lot of taxes on it, they want to get some use out of it, and the village would not rezone. And you might think that's not that big of a deal, but there were other people in the village who Hank felt were being treated differently than him. They were benefiting from rezonings and other business dealings. So he started a little protest and he first put out some toilets and it grew from there. This thing's been going on for 20 years. It's really become an obsession for some people up here. It's definitely like interwoven into the village's cultural identity now. You can't really imagine Potsdam without the toilets, but it's evolved over time. And he's had a lot of skirmishes with the village government in court and different them trying to mandate the toilet removal and those sort of things. So it's just, it's been a 20 year fight and a 20 year protest essentially. Which I think is a insane way, an awesome way to protest by just being like, okay, if you're not going to let me sell my property, I don't know what the offer was for his property from Dunkin' Donuts, but I can't imagine that it would be like, it would be, it wouldn't, that'd be a nice hunk of change that he could have got out of that deal. Yeah. They, I think they said it was 600,000, his yeah. lawyer said that. But yeah. And that's, especially up here, that's a lot of people look at that number and they say, yeah, that's, I understand why he's mad. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that too myself. Now, I can also understand, I don't want to, I like sticking it to the man, but <laughs> I also understand why there's zoning laws. I, I imagine that that helps to keep the community so that it's not all just one giant strip mall. And so I imagine that the people in the government or in this town council are trying to, they weren't trying to keep that from happening. It just, that's the way that they thought made sense, right? Yeah, that street that he's on, it's, you have to really get a visual of it to understand. I tried to do that in the film, but he's really, he's right next to a Five Guys burger place and a Chinese restaurant. So it's not like this is beyond him, it's residential, but it's just a short residential strip. And then there's mm -hmm. more businesses up there. So this is, I would say like the, in between the old downtown and then the strip where you have Burger King mm -hmm. and McDonald's. So it, it, well, a lot of people think it made sense to put the Dunkin' Donuts there and it ended up going in just up the street later on. So it, it wasn't like a, he wanted to put it in between two houses. It wasn't right. that sort of deal. Like it would have made sense it, for that property to, to become that. Yeah. Okay. That, and that kind of adds to the sense of him being angry. And then to protest, he decided to make a toilet garden. He did. He actually, it started as corn. So he planted corn at first. And I talked to some, this wasn't in the film, but a village administrator who was telling me off the record that there was deer coming into the town and eating the corn. And <laughs> <laughs> Hank said he would feed it to, he would give it to people to eat. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's really, he's like a, I describe him as like a 80 year old Dennis the Menace. He just likes to run around the neighborhood and hit the fences with a stick and stir people up a little bit. And he's fun in that way. But he's also a really good guy, and I got to obviously spend a lot of time with him, so I got to know his little devilish smirk that comes out when you interview him <laughs> and when you ask him about the toilets. But yeah, he put up, he did the corn and then he did the toilets, just a couple at first, and I think it was when the village called him and said, hey, this, you can't do that, you can't put out toilets. 
he, that's when it, like a light bulb, I think went off in his head and he was like, Oh, they don't like the toilets. They really don't like the toilets. Okay. I'm going to put out more toilets. And so that's where it really started to snowball from there. I can imagine that if there's anybody that's listening to this podcast, that is like a city administrator somewhere or a town village administrator. They're probably like, they're like, this guy sounds like a menace to society. And then if there's anybody that has a property that wants to do their own thing, they're like, man, this guy's my hero. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And if you ask people in our, in Potsdam, they actually, they've done polls in the paper. Like there's probably been more coverage of this story up here than anything else in the history of our area. I think I counted, there was like, there had to be like 70 newspaper articles over the years or something crazy like that. And editorials, people arguing back and forth and letters to the editor. But yeah, it's really a 50, it's pretty split 50, 50. I just had a memory that I had completely blacked out and I'm not sure why, but I grew up in a tiny little town like that. And we had an outhouse in the backyard. We had an indoor toilet, but the house had an outhouse. And my dad was like, I'm never going to tear it down because if I do, you'll never get a permit to build another one. And I remember probably when I was like middle school age, he, we replaced the toilet and he thought it would be funny to fill up the toilet with dirt and plant flowers. Now it, that would have been well before this guy. So it would have been back in those days. And I remember my mom being so mad and my dad thinking it was the coolest thing. So maybe it's a guy thing. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah. And of course there's a lot of neighbors who say, or, or there's people in the village who say, if I was a neighbor, I wouldn't like it. But because it's like a few streets over, it's okay. He painted his garage like super garish, crazy colors too. So if you can't miss it, like you're driving by, you're not missing this toilet garden. No, it definitely stands out. And he's done things over the years too. Things that weren't even there. I didn't cover everything in the film because some of it wasn't documented, but I know like little bits and pieces, it really became almost like a social commentary on issues in, in our town. He like in the film, there was the sandbox turtle and there were some women's underwear that he hung at one point, but there was other things. He, and now he's got a guy going down with his legs hanging out of a toilet. So he, it's evolved and it's changed. And especially when people started telling him it was art, he was like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's definitely art. I guess it is. I, th that actually kind of makes me think about just this idea that as men, we want to create art and our art might just look different. For some guys, it's art is the perfect cast on their fishing pole into the river, or it's the perfect shot with their bow, or it's planting flowers in toilet. Yeah, I do think that's important because every, I think we all have that impulse and some of us maybe don't express it. We could express it in ways like you you just said, like with other forms of what anything could really be considered art that you're pouring some sort of creativity into, but it really goes back to, I think part of it's class too. Like it was touched on in the film, but some people, they only have what's laying around them. And when you talk about like folk art and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And so there was the guy in the film who was the junk collector who had these improv, improv, this, I don't even know what they were, sculptures or whatever. He had the turkey finger flipping off, off the front of the, his truck, things like that. But it's just, a, that's what he had to express himself. And he felt some urge to do that. And this guy was a landlord, right? So yeah. he had multiple income properties. And so I imagine that toilets wouldn't be hard to come by because you're going to replace a toilet. You're going to have a spare toilet laying around. So that kind of makes sense. He's using the thing he has to express his feelings, his outrage. 
Yeah. Yeah. And for people who say that he doesn't care about his artwork or his toilet displays, he would go through the lots and show me which toilets were his favorite. And he had, he had a black toilet in the middle. I don't know if he was, <laughs> I don't know if this was some sort of commentary, but he had one black toilet surrounded by white toilets. And he said he had gone down to Syracuse to an auction to get that one or something like that. And then he had his, he had his grandmother's tub out there and it's, yeah. It's and then some of the toilets have flowers growing out of them. And then some of them have silk flowers in them. And he's taking the time to think about, yeah, there's, that's definitely art. Yeah. I, at this point, I don't see how you could say it's not. Even if the it's first like, one wasn't, it is now. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, when I think there was a moment to uh, alongside that other moment where he was like, oh, they don't like these toilets where he was like, his lawyer was like, it's art. And he's like, oh yeah. So then he like really bought into it. And I think he truly does believe it is. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. I think that's what he thinks he's doing now. It's still a little bit of a protest and he was mad, but it's, that's the thing is it's not black and white. There's, there could be gray area and it, he was angry and that's part of it. And now he's expressing himself in a different way or with different motives. So in the film, I think I saw there are multiple toilet gardens now because he's got multiple properties. So he put them on in multiple places now. Yeah. He, so at one point there were one, two, three, four, five, six properties, six or seven properties with toilets on them. He did get rid of one. He sold that property, but yeah, there, there's really two main spots because some of his properties are adjacent to each other. So it's just like, one really long stretch of toilets alongside the road in one spot. And then there's a corner where he's got a display and then they're in front of his apartment house and his tenants live with the toilets. He says they keep an eye on them for him. <laughs> it's funny too, because the town's pots town and now it's full of potties. So th that play on words makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he also, he likes to call Potsdam mad stop, which is Potsdam spelled backwards. Oh, um, yeah. So he's stuff. like, yeah, but he's really, he's been pushing hard to people. I don't know who he's really talked to, but he wants to like get a sign put up when you enter Potsdam that says you are now entering Potty Town, <laughs> USA, Mad Stop, <laughs> which will never happen. Has anybody else jumped on the bandwagon and started their own toilet gardens yet? So when we were filming, there were a number of people up here. Who, and this was right when the sim had enacted that new law, that junk law, mm -hmm. and they mandated a toilet removal. And there was people who came out in support and they would put toilets out in their front yards with signs that said, we support Hank, Potty Town. And they weren't just in Potsdam. They were like all over. The thing about up here is I describe it as like being in high school again. You have everybody just knows each other. There's groups in each town. And so it's really like Potsdam. The whole county is like my hometown, really. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they've had toilets out. And then there was actually, this is funny, it's not super related, but there was a guy in Maine who ironically wanted to also sell his property to a Dunkin' Donuts and it wouldn't be, they wouldn't rezone it. And he put out toilets and he did like the same exact protest, but it was like years later. And I don't think the two guys knew of each other at all. So it's That's just even like, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So here's the question, Morgan, what made you decide that this was the story you were going to tell? 
I think just being interested in, I'm not a journalist, but I've always had a curiosity towards stories and wanting to know more and getting into the details. And I like research too. It's fun doing investigative work. So I just started, I actually worked with a reporter who had covered the story at a college up here. And I started talking to him and he said, there's, I know quite a bit about that story and I could tell you some of it. So I put him in front of a camera and we ended up talking for three hours. And by the end of it, I was like, man, this is, I don't know if this is like a full feature film, but I think there's something there. So I'm just going to keep shooting. And then I interviewed another journalist and took a little time off a couple years. I was doing some things. I was busy. And then the pandemic hit. And that's when I was like, I had some more time and I was like, I should really dive back into this. And it went from there. And I was saying to somebody else, it's funny that most productions shut down and were hurt by COVID. Mine was probably one of the few that really benefited from it because people up here, not a lot of people were really feeling the mask mandate up here. They didn't care. We we were safe. We stayed six feet apart. We didn't wear masks on camera. So yeah, we got it done. That's awesome. It was definitely a fun watch. So if, where is it? Like, I, I mean, I, obviously I was able to watch the preview link that you sent me. Where is it going to be available if anybody does want to watch it? Yeah, you can watch. It's on iTunes or Apple TV and on Amazon Prime. You can rent it or buy on either of those sites. And pretty much anywhere you can rent or buy a film, you can find it. I, we do have a website. It's pottytowndocumentary.com. So if you go to that link, there's a nice big art or a cartoon toilet cut out on the website. And at the bottom of that, you can find all the links if you want to watch. That's awesome. <laughs> I, uh, I, my wife and I love to watch documentaries sometimes. And uh, this is one I'm going to have to put up for her to see, because I think she's going to really appreciate the humor of it. Cause especially people like us who live in are from small areas like this, like I'm sure that the city has its own level of excitement, but nothing like this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that it, these things become like all consuming too, for, like I said, we have 70 newspaper articles. One thing is there's obviously there's less, we have less murder up here and less high profile cases. We do have them once in a while, but yeah, it's, it's a lighthearted story, but it's crazy how worked up people have gotten here. You would think that these toilets have murdered people the way that some people act towards them. Like, (laughs) They really, like the one guy in the film, he's, I, if I wouldn't get in trouble, I would smash all of them. I would just destroy them. And <laughs> people feel, and I don't know if you experienced this, but like being from a small area, people are very, or a small town, people are very sensitive about what outsiders think of us. And so I think that was one of the things I was worried about with the film coming out because I am one of us up here <laughs> and I didn't want to portray us as being ho-dunk America up here, we we're obviously, we have some rural aspects and we embrace that and I'm proud of it, but I just wanted to show Potsdam as it is. And like, we have a lot of great things going on up here and we have the toilets, which are cool too. So I just think, and I do think people came away feeling, okay, yeah, this film did it justice and okay, maybe we're okay with the toilets. Yeah. I think there's a, like you said, that folk art element of it, there's a charm to it. It's a social commentary. And I think that it speaks about who the story, the guy got screwed out of a big deal. And <coughs> excuse me, 
I don't know what just happened, but I think I'm dying. Did you swallow a bug? I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't die. We're good. Now, here's this guy. He's living his life. He gets screwed out of a major deal, and he decides to make a statement about it, and that becomes a part of your town's history and culture. Who cares yeah. if it's toilets? It could have been scarecrows. I think he put scarecrows up with his corn. It could have stayed scarecrows, scarecrows and it still could have been interesting. I think one of the things I'm like most pleased with the film coming out is I've had a lot of comments where people said, I thought I knew the story, but I didn't know all the details, and the details really made the difference. And that's I've said it before, but that's why documentary is so important because you like they, they covered this story for years, but nobody still nobody had the full picture. So like documentary really gives you that chance to dive in and ask everybody all the questions you've ever wanted to ask mainstream media or print media. They don't have they don't always have time to really do that always or it doesn't fit the narrative or whatever. But yeah, it's just like I was just watching the, the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. And like that guy was a villain for years. And then all of a sudden this documentary comes out and even myself, I was like, oh man, I feel terrible for this guy. What did we do? So I think that's, it's just why it's so important. And I hope that people up here and people that see the film get all the facts and then come to their own conclusions about the story. Yeah. Oh, I just watched uh, the John McAfee documentary. I don't know if you got to see that one yet on Netflix. I haven't seen that one yet. It's pretty cool. I've always been a fan of John McAfee. Just, I'm not saying I like anything he stands for necessarily or the way he lived his life, but it's been intriguing. So I've paid attention. There's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist in me as well. So, you know, what his life story has a lot of that, those undertones, but when you watch the documentary or listen, there's actually a podcast they put out that has even more details. And you start to see this picture of him that's different that you wouldn't have seen had there not been these guys from Vice right there on the ground capturing everything he said. And you realize, oh, he really was just bat crap crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, with, especially with social media now, it's so easy to make us or just to see things as black and white. Like we're all so polarized now and we just like mm -hmm. our points and get our laughs out of our tweets and whatever. But it's, I just think we have to be willing to look at the whole thing and, and then make decisions and not rush to judgment. Yeah. I think, like I said, there's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist in me. So I think divided and rushing to judgment and angry at each other is what they, whoever they are, it's what they want. First of yeah. all, that sells more ad spots on cable news and it allows for political candidates to gather a base on both sides when on 90% of the issues, it's not red and blue. We're all like purple polka dotted and purple and red polka dotted and with whatever other colors that exist that they don't want to acknowledge exist too. None of us are all one or the other of everything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, I feel the exact same way. And it's, I don't know. It's sad that I just think I'm a big, I'm not a, like a social media hater. I think it's useful. But I just think it sounded these issues so much more like the polarity and the, and like us interfighting and not being able to agree on anything. And, and yeah, I, you don't get elected. It, there's nothing really to run on if everybody's happy for politicians and there's, and yeah, the media knows what sells and that's that. Yeah. Reasonable people don't get to rule the day. It seems the loudest and the ugliest get the most attention. So unfortunately, and now everybody has a, a an 
Apple box or soap box they can get up on and a toilet and, to get. Yeah, say whatever they want. <laughs> they can stand on the toilet yeah, and yell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, like I said, I still admire. I admire this guy because Hank is just, he's bold and he's courageous and he's creative. So for me, like I admire the guy 100%. But I have been asked to be on a zoning board for my township before. And I have I just said, that's a quick way to become the most hated person in town. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah, you're right. For sure. That was a smart move. We had a, an issue with zoning. We live out here in the country. We decided we were going to get some backyard chickens. So we got we got six chickens. And then somebody says, I had chickens, but I don't want them anymore. Do you want them? And so sooner or later, we had 36 chickens in the backyard. And get them all set up. And then we find out that we're not zoned for chickens. And I'm like, I'm literally on the edge of the Allegheny National Forest. There's nothing for miles. My neighbors don't mind. And the one that does mind, I'll just bring them eggs and it'll shut them up. And uh, they didn't enforce it. And they basically said, as long as you don't have a problem, we don't have a problem. But technically you should know you're not in a zone to be able to have chickens. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Wanna, chicken uh, town. That's yeah. Chicken town. So before I went on my long rant about chickens, what were you going to say? Oh, just that uh, you said you admired Hank and I do too. I think I spent time with him and I don't think he's what going back to what we said about being there being gray area. I don't think mm -hmm. he's hundred percent innocent. He's not an angel. He likes to poke and, and prod and instigate and push people's buttons. But he, I think what's impressive to me about him is the longevity of this protest. It's gotta be one of the longest running protests it's certainly the longest running weirdest protest <laughs> that has ever i might maybe ever in the u.s it's just yeah it's been 20 years and he's not gonna stop and he's gonna give it to his kids in his will and with the condition that they continue it it's just you don't people do think it's a little bit of an old school trait people i think today would be like they would get bored of it after a little while maybe but he just keeps going. It's become his life's work. And that's a beautiful thing. It is. <laughs> I'm just, I've been to a lot of really crazy. I was a journalist for a long time myself. So I've been to a lot of really crazy township and county supervisor kind of meetings and school board meetings where you just were sure that somebody's going to meet in the back outside afterwards for fisticuffs, but it never got to that point. And uh, yeah, this is, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Our, somebody said to me recently, they were talking about what they, somebody said that somebody that didn't like the toilets was like, you gave Hank all these softball questions. Like you didn't, you weren't hard on him. And I asked what, what they would have asked. And they said, why? Cause he, so Hank lives outside of the town. He doesn't live right in the village. It's all his property, his apartment houses. And he doesn't have toilets on his property at home. So they said, why ask him why he doesn't? And he, I actually did ask him that, but I didn't include it in the film because I didn't think it really, it didn't indict him in any way. So I didn't think it was really relevant, but he just said they didn't wrong him at that location. So every toilet garden he put up was for a specific reason. Oh, you're not going to let me sell the Dunkin' Donuts toilets. You're not going to let me sell the Kinney drugs toilets. You made me tear down this house toilets. So like every toilet garden was individually motivated and that was why but hank's also he's funny he's like very he's very funny and witty but he's also like 
short in his answers. He's just mm-hmm. like a one-line guy. So sometimes that, you have to like really get it out of him. That makes for a very difficult documentary sometimes, right? If it, it's yes, the editing, yeah. Yeah. I've had some podcasts like that, so I get you. Yeah, stringing it all together. It's, oh, i got to throw up some B-roll and, like, string his two lines <laughs> together. Morgan, you've got something on the shelf behind you, and I think I saw it in the documentary. It looks like a game of Monopoly. What's that all about, man? Yeah, we have – so there's this company that makes Monopoly games that are specified to each town. So this is Potsdamopoly, and you can see – I'll get it out for you. The, the toilet gardens are – what was it like Baltimore Baltimore Ave was like the cheapest uh-huh. property on, on the map. Yeah. We have the toilet gardens are they're only seventy dollars on this map. So somebody <laughs> didn't think very highly of them. If you can see it right there. That's awesome. But they but it made it on the game, so <laughs> it made it yeah. I mean it had to. If it didn't, I would seriously question these people's knowledge. They should make one of the little characters that you get to march around the thing a toilet that'd be perfect and see i actually when i was filming i'm like for the title sequence i want to use this board and i want to put like the little toilets on it so i went on etsy and i have these little gold toilets oh that is Um, awesome so these these are now the pieces that i play with if we play (laughs) that's perfect that's awesome obviously this is the project that you've worked on that's getting the most attention at the moment. And that's probably, it may be your claim to fame, but are there other things that you've worked on that, that you are proud of as well? Yeah, I've done recently, I've done a lot of music videos and there's a few of those that that I like. This was my only, my first um, feature film that I directed. I've done a lot of like director of photography, cinematography work over the last 10 years. So Really, I feel like the last 10 years has been me learning leading up to being able to take on something of my own and learning my own style and learning from other people's mistakes and what they've done successfully. And like, I don't think there's ever like a perfect time to start directing your own stuff, but I think you just get to a point where you're, you stop asking yourself if you're capable. And then you just do it and really, and I tell, like, I teach, I'm an adjunct instructor at the college up here. And I just tell the students, like, just go out, even if it's bad, like, it's going to be bad. Just go do it and work on it and learn. Cause like 10 years from now, it won't be bad, but you get, but you have to start there. And so I probably made some really bad stuff over the last 15 years, but that gets you to where you are and hopefully be making even better stuff in the future. I can tell you after watching it, that you have the chops. And I could see this as, and I know, again, there's this particular documentary probably has an even special charm because it's your hometown, but I can see you doing a documentary on just about anything. And I think it would do because it's very interesting and it's shot well, it's beautiful. And I personally, like I said, I like the story because the story is just, it's bizarre and crazy, but I thought you did a great job of telling it. So I think you'll be doing some good stuff, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I'm doing some work, some DP work on a couple other documentaries right now, but I also have a few on the docket for that I'm directing. There's one that's, I met a guy who is arguably one of the, he's in a group of guys that are arguably some of the strongest natural athletes alive. They're completely steroid free, performance enhancing free. And this guy in particular was very anti-steroid. It's very pervasive in that, in that sport now. 
Um, but he, this guy actually owns the world record for a dumbbell curl. He curled, I, I watched him break the record. He curled a 152 pound dumbbell in one hand or 142 with one arm. So there's some really interesting characters in that world too, that I'm kind of looking into and working with, and we're still figuring out what the story is, but it's character driven. We're following these guys and hopefully something comes of that too. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. So you'll have to keep us in the loop because when that comes together, we're going to have you on to talk about that because that would be amazing. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. Do you, as you're following them, are you, are you interested in fitness and that kind of stuff too, as you're doing it? Not, not like they are like these guys like live for it. And one the of the interesting things we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting things that we found when we were doing this doc was like, all these guys had a really like dark, not dark, like they had some sort of trauma in their past that they were working through, but they were all very adamant that it wasn't like this strength training wasn't a way to re release that anger or that trauma, but it was a way to integrate it into their life, which I thought was interesting. So we've, we're following that narrative a little bit, but no, I'm not, I, I try to go to the gym once in a while, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not like a fitness freak or anything. I got you. I just wondered, cause you know, you get around those people and sometimes they can be inspiring. Sometimes they can be frightening too, though. They're, yeah, they're intimidating to look at. And then you talk to them and they're like, they're all teddy bears. They're like the nicest guys, <laughs> and, but they do. We were down there. They're like, oh, and these guys do all like crazy sorts of lifts. Like a lot of them, it's not like your traditional stuff. Cause they're like, they're weirdos in a really good way. They like this weird stuff. So they're like, they're steel bending. They're like taking literally like steel from the factory. This one guy we went to his workplace that he works at a steel factory because he likes steel bending. <laughs> so he like gets all the scrap steel and he just, they just bend it. It's like crazy. And then they'll like, they'll do like sledgehammer pickups with like their forearm locked. So they had me try to do one. And these guys can lift like 12 pound sledgehammers. Like it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like, crazy. I, it felt like a car when I tried to pick it up. They had me do like a six pound one and, and I picked it up and I felt something go all the way up into my head. I like pulled some five muscles at the same time. So that was my one foray into that. Abraham Lincoln actually used to do that. He'd go to visit the troops during the civil war and he would do that with an ax. Obviously it's not as heavy as a sledgehammer, but he would do it and he could hold it out longer than any of them because he grew up splitting rails with an ax. Yeah. And even though he was tall and lanky and old at that point, like it was nothing to him. And so like this, all these soldiers in their prime couldn't keep up with him. So when you tell that, I just think about that kind of craziness of that's really cool. No, that's awesome. We want I want to do some, some of that like history, almost like that folklore around strength, because there's a lot of instant, that would be a great one to include. Yeah. You have all the mythology and then Inuit people, throwing walruses on their back and like doing walk stuff like that. It's just, it's interesting to me how people are so fascinated by feats of strength. That's what got me into yeah. it. That, you know what? I'm actually getting really excited about this documentary, so I can't wait to see it. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. We, I've got some guys around here that I've gotten close to the, my connection to them. Actually, I did a few podcast episodes with him and he passed away an aneurysm, but these guys are, they do the Highland game stuff. So they dress in yeah, belts and yep. they throw the hammers and they, like use the pitchfork to throw a, a hay bale up over and dude, those guys are nuts. And the girls, yeah. holy cow, they've got these women that show up and I'm like, where did these women come from? I think that they just walk through life and you wouldn't know they're women because they're built like 
tanks. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that no, that's crazy. I have heard of, that was the first time I'd heard of the Highland Games when I talked to these guys, but we actually went to I don't know if you're familiar with Sorenex, like the gym mm-hmm. equipment. Yeah. So we went to the Sorenex headquarters in North Carolina and we interviewed this founder, Richard Soren, and his son Bert is like one of, is like a top Highland mm-hmm. competitor. He, and this guy's just shredded, but it's a crazy world that like, I didn't really know existed. And I'm like, it was so interesting for me to like get introduced to it and dive into it a little bit. Yeah. I'm really excited about this documentary, so I can't wait till it starts to take shape. Hopefully it's not six years from now. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too. I don't want it to go. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Morgan, I like to ask all of my guests a couple of questions and the answers that we get have made this actually my favorite part of the podcast. No pressure though. You yeah, just be you I'm because that's... That. You be you because that's what makes it great. Okay. The first question I want to ask you is what does it take to be a man? Yeah, that's to be a man. I get the first word, I guess, that pops into my mind when I try to think about it is sacrifice for me personally. I don't know. I'm not even sure why, but I feel, and I'm not like super religious either, but I do think it's got something to do with that, like that Christianity being woven into our, our European settlement over here. And I just think, I don't know, I'm struggling to there's tie a, it together. There's a Bible verse that says greater love has no man, but to lay down his life for his friends. And that kind yeah. of sums up what you're expressing, I think. So I definitely can see that. Well, as, and as a storyteller, I guess that's maybe that's why I go to it first, because it's like, when I think of characters that, that are, I'm drawn to, or that I root for, it's like people that are selfless. And I guess it doesn't have to be just a man, but I, I think that it's, it's, at least in our society, it's more, it's expected of men. No, that's not true because mothers are very selfless. I just think it's as a human quality, it's one of the most important. If everybody would sacrifice for each other and not put themselves first, the world would be a much better place. And that's very idealistic and will never happen, but it's true. And I think that's something in my life that my wife, we just got married this past week, actually, so I can call her that. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) But my wife has taught me is not just living for myself. We're all selfish in our own ways, I think, but, but living for other people is more fulfilling and it's, it's the right thing to do. And especially I think when you have kids like doing what's right for them and sacrificing the things that maybe you want to do to have allow them to have a better life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think that like a lot of times the answer to this question is something that applies to men or to women. And I, I think that makes sense. When you talk about that, that sacrifice and you put your need, someone else's needs ahead of yours. And I think when we surround ourselves with people that do that, then usually your needs are met. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah, if you're giving in to, into that too. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, I think with anything in life, but at least in my limited experience, it's anything you, everything compounds. So it doesn't matter if it's like sacrifice or if it's anger or intolerance or whatever, if you put that energy out into the world, people around you pick up on it and they put it out into the world. So it really does. And and it feels, I think it feels good to give and it feels good to receive. So if you're sacrificing, 
you're getting both within one dynamic, you're getting both of those things. And it usually comes back around. Yeah. That's my experience as well. What do you say? What do you tell people? What, how do you oh. define manliness? That's a tough so question. It, it is, and you know what? Nobody ever asks me that. The last time somebody asked me the next question I'm going to ask, somebody asked me that the other day and I was able to answer that. But yeah, so I think that, I think that, I think that one of the most important things that a man can do, probably the first pillar if there's many pillars that manhood stands on is personal responsibility. So a man does what he should. He takes responsibility for his actions. He takes responsibility for life around him. And rather than playing the blame game where we just point fingers and say, this is your fault, or even saying it's my fault, I say, it doesn't matter whose fault, I'm going to take care of it. That's, I think women can do that too. So it's not, that's not something, that's a human thing, but I think that's something that is important for a grown man to do. When a boy starts to do that, you see him as a man. Yeah. That's, I think that's the first thing I would say. Yeah. And that's so hard to do too. I think like just thinking of my own personal experience, I think back on like how, I don't know, just like how selfish you can be, like, especially as a young person. And I don't know, it's hard to like, not, it's just so much easier to point the finger at people to like make excuses, to play the blame game. And it even, I would argue it even feels good to do that. It's, it's almost like a high to you. This isn't me. Like a anger is a high, like anger and emotion. I think that you feel strongly and like it's, it, it's, you can get stuck in the patterns of doing that and being able, but being aware is probably like the first step towards that. I would say. Yeah. And those patterns and cycles of doing it too, like they perpetuate each other. So if you're expressing that towards someone else and they express it back towards you. And it's just like, you're playing this endless game of monkey in the middle, but there's no monkey. Or yeah, you're the monkey. Exactly. Yeah. And then we're not even, and then we lose like a human element because we like can't communicate anymore. And it's just two people yelling at each other. Yeah. Which would, which honestly, if we go back to our earlier conversation, I think it's why I like the toilets because he could have just got up in their face and screamed and yelled at them. You know what I mean? Instead, he's, I want to do this different. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. That's, he, and like his lawyer says in the film too, and it's true, is like, Hank is a very calm, cool, collected guy. He's never once been the aggressor. Some people say the toilets are aggressive. That's <laughs> definitely not. That's about his passive. Assertive. As it's assertive, but it's it not is. aggressive. <laughs> no, and it's bold, like you said earlier. But right. It's, no, it's not aggressive. And yeah, I agree. That's, I think that's, he's like the, uh, the Gandhi of bathroom fixtures. <laughs> that needs to be the subtitle of the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. Morgan, if you were to run into the 10 year old version of Morgan. And you've got the opportunity to speak into his life and tell him something. What do you want to say? I would say live in the moment and just do things. Do follow your instincts. Do what's right. D just move. Don't think too much. Just do. you need to think. You need to stop and analyze and critically think. But but don't. I think like my younger self a lot of time would, and I still do it. I'm not like totally cured of this, but would get ahead of myself and look at all the possible outcomes and then start thinking about and it becomes like a roadblock in, mm -hmm. in doing things. It's, if I do, this might happen and it could be good or bad, but it's, I think even imagining the good outcome as a roadblock or a barricade, because 
you're not you're thinking you're not doing anything you're just like you're like fantasizing about it at mm -hmm. that point and then when you get there if it doesn't meet your expectations it's it's not as good as it could have been so i would just say just do stuff and don't worry about people and don't worry about anything but what you're doing stay focused stay in the moment that's something i've had to learn so are you still an overthinker or maybe not as much as you were Oh, I'm de I definitely overthink now, but, but definitely, but I'm aware of it now. Like I said, like being yeah. aware of things is, it makes it a little bit easier. So now I can be like, okay, stupid, stop. <laughs> you can just chill out. And, but I really think I've talked to a lot of people about it, but I just think for me, at least my experience is focus is like the cure to most of my ails. Uh, it your brain can just go crazy or wild in so many different directions and it's if you're really living in the moment and not thinking about anything but what you're doing in front of you it's almost impossible for me to be unhappy i don't know if that's a no that makes perfect or anything no that, that makes perfect that's what it feels like to me that's awesome all right morgan my next question is what is your best advice for the men that are listening today probably be similar to what I just said, because I have to remind myself of that all the time. But yeah, just, I think what I would say to myself too, is get too caught up in what other people are saying. I think like, it's a really hard skill to take in what people are saying. And because you don't want to block out everything because you have to have feedback. We can't learn and grow without feedback, but taking it in and filtering it and trusting yourself too to be able to filter what's good and what's bad. And, and also but being able to, and this goes along, I think with what you said a little bit, being able to admit when you're wrong and being able to, because that's way more constructive, especially if you're working in like a creative field. When I started, I had a tendency to get like upset if people were saying that's not good or whatever, but there's also, you have to know what good criticism is too. So you can listen to it and, throw the other stuff away because some people will just say that sucks or whatever, or, or invalid argument or something. But when people tell me like this, it could have been better if you did this. And I have to allow myself to really think about it and not just become defensive and, and decide if what they're saying is true. And if it is, then it's better for the project or whatever I'm working on. And then I benefit when I grow. So it's listening to other people and myself. Yeah, that humility of knowing that you're not always right is really valuable because I've been a creative field too. Like, obviously, this is creative podcasting is, but I also, that's, uh, I do video production. I do graphic design and writing and that kind of stuff. And I, I will frequently, I'll put something out there and then you take it to the boss or you take it to the client and they're like, ah, I don't think I like this. And you're like, okay, I have to be humble enough to get that. That's okay. This isn't my baby. <laughs> this is your baby. And, or even right. if it is something that's my baby, I, I had somebody the other day, I had a guest and we had our little kerfuffle when we started trying to record and I couldn't find the audio. We recorded and then when we were watching it back, I realized like I'd screwed something up. So he gives me this big long list of things to fix for the next time. And at first I was like, oh, you don't even know me, man. But then I started looking at what he was saying and I'm like, he is 100% right. And so I looked at what he did and I fixed it and now I have a better podcast. So yeah. Yeah, being no, able to filter that. It is. It's hard. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong, but, and I think it also, I'm tying like everything in here, but it's, That's all right. it goes back to the doing too, because once you do it enough, you get over, I think a little bit like people telling you that your stuff isn't good. 
it becomes or it becomes easier to hear that and it becomes easier to take criticism that the first time you make something and somebody tells you it's bad you're like no my one thing that i've made i'll tell you right now that, that if anybody says that this film is bad this potty town film is bad you tell them that josh hatcher says they're full of crap Sending them your way. You do because it is <laughs> no not pun bad. Intended, not <laughs> yeah, it's full of crap. No pun intended. Because it is real. It's it is. That's all just potty talk. No, this is. <laughs> it's an excellent film, and I don't blow smoke because I would tell you if I didn't like it. No, I loved it. I think it's great, and I think you're doing good work. So I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, and I think like we heard. I was nervous to be honest. Like I didn't know what the response because you see a project like this. I've watched it 500 times. Like I, yeah. I can't tell if it's good or not anymore. Like right. I, I just you, don't know. Yeah. You so see you what you meant to do, but you don't even know if it's, yeah, I get you 100%. Yeah. By yeah. the way, you become numb to it. I have to say there's a part of the film where you start talking about the, like the potty humor of the last century. I don't even remember what it was called. It had a name. <laughs> and then there's a lady and she's like doing like spoken word poetry in the potty garden. And yeah. I'm just like, this just got really weird, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that lady's cool. She actually, uh, that was, I told somebody else this, but that was like one of the cool things about doing this project was I got to meet a lot of people around here that I didn't know that are just have been there my whole life, but she was cool. And she, she ended up acting in one of my music videos that I did later on. She does like theater, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, it was, that was a cool find. Yeah, I love it. It was fun. So if anybody wants to check out this amazing film that you've created, you mentioned it earlier, but let's point them in the right direction. So they want to check this out. Where should they go again? The easiest way is go to pottytowndocumentary.com. And then all the links are at the bottom of the page. Just scroll down. You can watch it on Amazon Prime, iTunes, anywhere. Or you can go to those streamers and just search for Potty Town. It'll pop up. Awesome. If our guys want to connect with you directly, what's the best way for that to happen? I'm on, I am on Facebook so they can look me up there. Morgan Elliott. I'm on Twitter. Now I just got a Twitter because I was, I don't know. I guess I'm just doing, <laughs> you're coming a famous filmmaker. So you have to take it seriously. No, hardly, <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I felt, I think I was supposed to like tweet to someone in particular. So I'm like, well, I better create a Twitter. And now I have a Twitter. Um, yeah, Twitter's usually a cesspool, so it's all right. <laughs> no, I know. It's also, I don't know. It's probably Twitter more fun because there's more conversation there than Facebook, but it, you're right. It like, it can get, it can just yeah. get tanked so quickly. I try to inject some positivity there when I can. Every now and then I might stir a little, I might plant my little toilet garden every now and then, but for the most part, yeah. I try to keep it pretty, pretty positive. Yeah. And if they want, or they can email me, I have, this is a long email, so I don't know if it's even worth giving, but it's Ridge 44 Productions. So the word Ridge number 44 productions at gmail.com. So awesome. Well, we'll, we'll, pop that, we'll pop that in the show notes too. So in case anybody's got a, a project for you and they're like, this is the guy that I need to do this project, or they just want to connect, we'll make that happen. But hey, awesome. I got to tell you, man, this has been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, likewise, for sure. And uh, I'll be back someday. No, dude, when you get closer to putting that documentary together on strength, let me know. Because I definitely want to, I think that'd be really cool to talk about that as well. So keep for in sure. touch, man. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Morgan, thank you so much for a great interview. It's great to see how the creative process worked for you uh, putting together this film. And uh, yeah, the uh, freedom loving man in me uh, is all about potty town. <laughs> uh, I helped my son take a toilet out 
recently and uh we were putting a, a used toilet in that somebody in the family had given him and as we were putting it in uh the toilet cracked uh, i think it had been outside too long or maybe it got bumped the porcelain was weakened and cracked so we had to go put another toilet. So then he had two toilets outside. And I thought, you know what? We should plant flowers <laughs> and make Potty Town in uh, Duke Center, Pennsylvania a thing. But he, his wife wouldn't let him. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a great documentary. And I really encourage you to give it a watch and a listen if you like it. Guys, if you like what we're doing here at Manlyhood, please share this with your friends. Let's help get the word out about what we're doing here. So share the episodes, uh, share the shorts and the reels that you see on Instagram and TikTok and uh, YouTube. Let's share those with people. Let's help people find out about what we're doing here because I really believe that this is a movement to help men be better men by having great conversations with amazing people like Morgan Elliott, uh, by having great conversations with all kinds of people. And I just really want to see this be something that makes a difference in the world. And that's going to happen when the manlyhood movement, which is not just me, but it's also you step up and make it happen. So please share this with somebody go on iTunes and Spotify and leave a rating and a review and share it on your socials. Let's get the word out. Anyway, guys, I love you. I care about you and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. 